This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. RIP to FFP. Dayan Lovren heading to Russia with love? Well, maybe. And Liverpool head to Arsenal, still looking to gun down that 100-point target. Welcome to the Blood Red podcast. I'm Guy Clark. On the day, we react to Man City's Champions League ban being overturned and the implications it could have on Liverpool. Plus, is Dejan Lovren heading for an Anfield exit? And of course, we'll preview Wednesday's game at Arsenal. Joining me to talk about all of that on a bumper-packed Blood Red podcast, the Liverpool's uh, Echoes Liverpool correspondent Paul Gorst. Gorsty, how are you keeping? Yeah, not bad, guy. Not bad. Um, fresh from Saturday's frustrating draw, which I'm sure we'll talk about in detail, but uh, can't complain, can we? It just seems like Liverpool are kind of just want the season to end now, and, and I, for one, kind of agree with that. So, yeah. The ever-fashionable Connor Dunn. Connor, how are you keeping, mate? Very well, thank you, guy. How are you? Yeah, not not so bad, not so bad. And Theo Squires, I'm sure pleasant intro as always from yourself. How are you keeping? Yeah, keeping good. Nice uh, weekend despite a frustrating draw. Plugging away, aren't we? Yeah, certainly does seem to be. Liverpool battling away towards that finish line in the, the Premier League. We'll get on to the action from Monday and, and look ahead to Wednesday as well with a couple of transfer lines to, to get into as well this afternoon here on Blood Red. But, Gorsley, just want to start on the, the huge news out of the Court of Arbitration for Sport today on Manchester City's uh, Champions League ban getting overturned. They do still have a, a €10 million Euro fine and, and just get your initial reaction on it. Yeah, I mean, I must admit, I, I did actually think this was going to be the one where finally UEFA would get tough and, and they'd see the sanctions kind of follow through. Um, probably a bit naive of me, wasn't it? Uh, because I've, I've had quite a few friends telling me over the last few months, there's no chance any of it will stick. City will get exonerated and they'll walk free and everything will be as it was. And I actually didn't think that this was the one, I thought. But UEFA to hand out a two-year suspension in the way that they did on February the 14th was... A uh, bit of a shock and, and a bit of a you know a statement to say that we're finally getting tough on any club who um, are alleged to have breached financial fair play. Um, you know, so what are we four months on? Court of arbitration for sports have ruled that actually City didn't um, kind of misappropriate the sponsorship funds and, and contributions that have been coming into the club, and everything is all above board. And I think if you actually if you actually read the statement in detail from the Court of arbitration for sports, it kind of suggests that there wasn't sufficient evidence for, for enough to be brought. Um, and City were eventually had their £25 million fine reduced to 10 on the, the basis of them not cooperating. So um, for City, I mean, it, it almost comes across as they put the fingers in their ears and just said to UEFA, well, go and, go and do your worst and see what you can find out of when I help you to jot. And um, if that is the case, it, it seems to have worked a, a treat, doesn't it? And City will have paid that 10 million fine with a smile on the face, no doubt, because that was the absolute best case scenario for them today. And now they're in the Champions League for the next two seasons, no issues for them on that score. So um, it gives them something else to, to kind of keep their minds occupied from a Liverpool perspective. But um, I think that would have been a huge kind of impact for them in their ability to attract players this summer, which obviously would have had a, a, a big boost for Liverpool. So it's uh, probably a, a, a disappointing result for Liverpool. But... As we say, um, it's something for them else, something else for them to focus on next season, instead of them just being in the Premier League and and just having to focus on that. Whereas Liverpool have got to juggle, you know, a couple of a uh, couple of competitions. Yeah, certainly the the court of 
the Court of Arbitration for Sport then announcing that City have been cleared of disguising equity funds. UEFA's club financial control body had, as Gorsty said there, issued a ban in January, which was going to be a two-year European club competition ban for Man City. And that was due to committing serious breaches of financial fair play regulations between 2012 and 2016. That two-year ban now has been lifted, but City are still getting fined €10 million for not wanting to cooperate with the UEFA statement. Uh, Connor, UEFA say that over the last few years, financial fair play has played a significant role in protecting clubs and helping them become financially sustainable and that UEFA and the European Club Association remained committed to its principles. My question to you is, can they? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a big if, isn't it, really? Because after the news today coming from Cass, it leaves a lot to be desired for UEFA's financial fair play. I mean, it's a massive setback. Um, it kind of, how do you justify having those financial fair play rules when the punishments, or well, they haven't even been punished for anything that UEFA had on them or had charged them for, released the CAS. Um, you had the likes of the League of President Javier Tabas come out this morning saying that CAS isn't fit for purpose after doing this. But at the end of the day, City have got off with whatever they've done. If they have done anything at all, that is. Can't really accuse them now they've been cleared. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's massively, massively in doubt. The credibility of the financial fair play rules are, you know, in the mud, really. Yeah, Theo, you've been across the blog on the the Liverpool Echo website today, seeing all of the the news and reaction that has been coming in. What's your take on it? Do you think this is now the end of financial fair play? Uh, It's a hard one to really assess because UEFA will still defend the system and say, well, we think back five, ten years ago, clubs were spending beyond their means and they're in debt, whereas now they're making a lot more money. But then it's quite simplistic to say that's because of FFP because obviously now there's a lot more money in, say, TV revenue, for example. That's why Premier League clubs are now reporting such financial hits. But with this, it's I don't think it's really that much of a surprise that City have gotten away with it, so to speak, because it had been investigated before in the past, and then it's come back on now. It's, it's a weird one. Like, it's always the big clubs that seem to get away with these sorts of cases, like PSG. That was another UEFA loophole that they got away with it because UEFA wanted to go and investigate that one again. But then because they'd already not taken it further the first time, that wasn't preceded. And when you think, well, this is an old case that they've looked at before and they've come back to us again, uh, it wasn't really one that was going to stick. But then it's, well, Manchester City are one of the richest clubs on the planet. They can't really fall out with UEFA. Like It's almost in UEFA's benefits as well to have them in European club competition. And it's just, uh, oh, we'll just sort it out like this. Cass... They were just going to go along with it, weren't they? They weren't going to find them guilty of something. And it's almost the easy option there to go along with it. We've had heard from the very beginning, Pep Guardiola wasn't worried. Manchester City players weren't worried. And it's not really a surprise. Whether it has a long-term effect for FFP, we'll wait and see. But then clubs haven't really been properly following letter of the law for a while now. It's only like Liverpool where they won't spend beyond the means because they'll go and sell players to sort of balance the books. So you'll get the criticism along that. It's one to keep an eye on. Yeah, the large. I think as well. Yeah, oh, sorry, ahead, I know. I think as well. You just you just saying that there, Theo, about financial players. Obviously, the rules have been relaxed this summer, haven't they? Because of the the COVID thing and relaxing this transfer market. So, I think with this result and then this next transfer market coming, where clubs can essentially spend whatever they like, and I'm sure Man City will well do. I think how can you go back from that? 
yeah, as you said, a lot of it, it does predate Pep Guardiola's time. It was looking at a period between 2012 and, and 2016. But, of course, the, as, as Connor makes the point there that last month it was only that UEFA announced that for this next year set of financial records that financial fair play won't be taken into account. Does it lead now then to maybe a rethink for Liverpool? Because Man City have a lot of rebuilding that they're going to go ahead and, and probably wheel out and, and do now. Liverpool, do they have to all of a sudden consider their stance? I'm not too sure, to be honest, because the, the two clubs are running completely different ways, aren't they? You think of Sheikh Mansour at Manchester City, they've been able to throw about, about 1.5 billion at it since they, they were taken over in August 2008. Liverpool with FSG, a completely different financial model in, in how they operate, particularly in, in the transfer window. So I, I don't really think Liverpool are going to be able to kind of say, oh, OK, well, if FSP, FFP is no longer a game changer, then we're going to go into the market and spend upwards of 200, 300 million because... Um, it's, they're simply not able to. We know for, for so long that the revenue streams have been cut off at Liverpool because of uh, the suspension of Premier League football. There's been no no TV money coming in, no no gate receipts, obviously, and, and that does have a massive impact. It has a massive impact on every, every club in world football. But for clubs like Manchester City and Chelsea, who are run a certain way with a with a figurehead of an owner who've got you know billions in, in the bank, the their situation is slightly different. So I don't think this is going to force Liverpool's hand in the market, and they're going to have to pull the finger out and go and spend X amount of money on, you know, whoever it might be, because um, I don't really think they're in a position to. I think what it will do now is embolden Manchester City to go and recruit in areas that they think they need to. And at the moment, they're 21 points behind Liverpool. So they need to to do something to kind of redress that imbalance. Uh, And let's not forget, they were champions last season and went and scored 140 million on, you know, um, Rodri was around about 60-odd million and Angelino and... Um, they bought another fullback whose name escapes me at the moment. They they went and spent big at a time when they were already champions, at a time when they'd already won the treble. So um, you can only imagine how they feel that they've got to spend this summer to kind of redress that balance against Liverpool. So Liverpool's task would be made a lot more difficult by today's decision. Yeah, João Cancelo, that that other player you were yes, yeah, reaching for there. Um, Connor, what's your take on it then in terms of Liverpool? Not only how it impacts them in terms of Man City being able to play in the Champions League, bringing in extra revenue and therefore players, but actually, if if there is no FFP, if if that were to to now get scrapped, what impact would that have on Liverpool and their staying power at the top of the Premier League? I think positive for Liverpool right now is they have a plethora of the world's best players in their ranks already. Um, they have one of the best managers in world football. They have a slew of players, you know, in the front three, Trent, Van Dijk, Allison. You, you know, the list goes on, Robertson, whoever. You know, they don't need massive wholesale changes going into next season. They don't need to go and spend big in the transfer market to carry on competing. They still are a world-class team and they still will be competing at the top. You know, you've got Chelsea bringing in loads of players, um, spending big, City probably likely to. That probably will redress the balance a little bit, but you know, you know, Liverpool fans know, City fans probably know that just because you go and spend big, big money, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have the best players coming in. So I don't think in the immediate term, Liverpool need to worry just because of what they've got at the moment. Um, I think also as well, the point is that City are going to have to play in the Champions League, so their sole focus won't be on the Premier League next season. So they'll be fighting on all fronts the same as Liverpool will. So they'll be just as tired heading into the weekend games after playing on a Wednesday. So there's there's positives and negatives to it. And I think Liverpool don't need to worry too much just because of the fact that, of the position they're in at the moment. Yeah, no supporters 
often sort of call on FSG to spend money, and when they do claim it's obviously from selling other assets within the squad, Theo, but does this now strengthen the model in which Liverpool have built and, and operate with with FSG, with Michael Edwards as the, the technical director, that actually Liverpool have a self-sufficient squad? Connor's already said that the first-teamers are world-class players. No one can come away from that, but the other squad players often are sold to therefore supplement new players coming into the team. Yeah, Liverpool have been very shrewd with how they've gone about business and it's to their benefits that they don't need to go and spend big money every single summer what would essentially be a revamp of the squad. I think that's the only reason we're sort of talking about panic with Manchester City because they didn't replace Vincent Company and the squad looks weak, but it's still very strong when you go through player by player. Yes, they need a centre-back, but the back four, granted you could probably improve the full-backs, they're still decent full-backs. They've got good midfield options. They've got good attacking options. It's just ages catching up with them a little bit. But then when you've got, say, Gabriel Jesus as a deputy for Sergio Aguero, then it's more of a fluke this year that they've been so far behind. They will turn it on again. But whereas Liverpool, they sort of can be comfortable that their players are reaching their peak now or in the next two, three years and they can be comfortable with the fact that they are going to progress there. And then when these players like, say, Mohamed Salah, Sadio Mane, when age catches up with them a bit, well, then you're going to be turning to your Harvey Elliott, your Curtis Jones. But just because Liverpool have got the quality there now and they've got these talented younger players coming through, that doesn't mean they're not going to spend when the right deal was there. They're just not going to go and break the transfer um, record every single summer and bring in 10 players every single summer. They'll do what's right for the squad and when it's only minimum work that needs to be doing to take it to the next level, it's fine. Whereas Manchester City, whilst we've seen big spending sprees from in the past, that was to get them to this platform they're at now. Now they're probably only going to be bringing in, what, three or four players at most. I can't see them making a massive spending spree to revamp the whole squad just because they can. Yeah, Gorsty suggested before, Connor, that come back to you, to you on this one, that Liverpool, obviously, their idea and the way they operate probably won't change just off the back of this ruling and said there with Theo that a lot of it is done by using surplus players, I suppose, in the squad to to sell, to make money, to bring in others. And I suppose one who falls into that category, a piece you've written this afternoon on the the Liverpool Echo website, is Dayan Lovren. Yeah, well, the news broke last night that Zenit and Petersburg were interested in Lovren. Um, they're the Russian Premier League champions. They're obviously a known, a well-known team playing the Champions League. Um, yeah, they were interested, but they hadn't made contact with Liverpool about initiating a transfer. Um, then um, found out this morning that Zenit believed that Lovren had only a year left on his contract, but actually Liverpool had the option to extend that. They have a clause in his contract to extend it by a year, which essentially means they're going to be keeping, they're going to look to activate that at the end of the transfer market. So, they essentially can keep Lovren until the summer 2022, which with any prospective suitors will drive the price up in the summer. Um, and yeah, he could well be one that's on his way. Um, but yeah, he'll be leaving with everybody's best wishes if he does go. He's a player, Gorsty, who came close to obviously leaving last summer. And I suppose it does just show that the shrewd way in which Liverpool operate, that a club gets interested. And then all of a sudden, Liverpool have this ace up their sleeves that they can protect their asset put another 12 months on his contract to make sure they get the best possible price. Yeah, I think I think that's like a, a standard thing across the board for Liverpool, actually, because I know that they certainly have a, a similar situation with, with Alisson Becker and, and possibly Vesa van Dijk as well. But yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one with Lovren because uh, I don't think Jürgen Klopp would be in any rush to sell him. He's always quick to kind of talk about how, how good he is. And OK, he's not 
Liverpool's Liverpool supporters' um, favourite. Is he fair to say he's had his critics over the years? But for a player who played in the World Cup final in 2018, he was Liverpool's best player in the Champions League final that same year. Um, to have him as a backup um, is, um, is is no great hardship, and I think. If Rotherham doesn't push for a, for a move this summer, then I think Klopp would be happy to keep him on the books and, and play him as a, as a squad player next season. But if he does agitate to move, if he does feel at the age of 31, I think he's, he's turning this month, um, if he does feel that he wants to be playing regular first-team football at, at a big European club, um, then he might kind of force force a, a move through. And, and then Liverpool uh, are going to have to go into the market, aren't they? Because they can't can't just keep getting rid of players and, and thinking that you know these players don't need to be replaced. I mean, I, I think we've seen the likes of Seth Vandenberg and Keanu Hoover at times this this season, and of course the great prospects. But I don't think either of those two are ready to step up to the first team on a regular basis at this point. And I think if Lovren does move, then Liverpool will will have to kind of you know go into the market at, at some stage. And we know that money is probably going to be tight, and there's a kind of Less is more approach at the moment because of the situation that they're in as a squad. It's, it's fairly settled. But I think a lot does depend on Lovren in terms of bringing in another centre-back. Because uh, I don't think Joel Matip can be relied upon too much. He, he seems to to be injured you know, more often than not at, at, at this particular part of his career. And, and Liverpool can't afford to be going into games. Games that matter with, with significance riding on them um, with just Lovren, with just Gomez and, and Van Dijk fit. So I think um, that will be an area that Liverpool will have to look at if Lovren does move on and and then it's hard to club for him. I only think the one to consider would be Fabinho in that position because obviously he can play centre-back and has played centre-back as we've seen. I think if Lovren were to move on and there wasn't a potential player of good enough standard to come in as backup because as you say there, Lovren is a serious player to be fourth-choice centre-back at any club really. You know, World Cup finalist, Champions League winner, Old club, old cup winner, Premier League winner. You know, he might not have played very much in the last few seasons, but he's there. He's in that squad. He's part of it. And, you know, he's been a very loyal servant for Liverpool, you know, since 2014 when he came from Southampton to drag himself back after the Tottenham game and things like that. You know, his mentality must be superb. So if he was to leave, you've got to get someone in of, of that same standard. And I think if that wasn't available or for the right price in the market, I think then you've obviously got Fabinho and Liverpool might have to think about Fabinho as cover maybe even until January. I don't know. It's an interesting situation for sure. And it's interesting when you think the parallels to Manchester City because that's effectively what's cost them this 20-odd point gap in the league this year. They lost Vincent Company. They didn't replace him. Laporte got injured. They've had to play Fernandinho at centre-back all season. Rodri's had games there. So they had their options limited, whereas if they had a Dejan Lovren as a fourth-choice centre-back, it had probably started most of the games this season. Um, and with Lovren, granted, he's had his iffy moments so far this season, Watford being, I think, his last start. But the centre-back's probably the most important position in terms of game time, where you need those constant runner games to forge that relationship with your full-back, with your goalkeeper, with your centre-back, and to just get levels at the top level. It's not somewhere thing where you can go in one game, drop out the next, and without your standards slipping, you need to play consistently to have your top level. And we've seen time and time again, when Dejan Lovren has a run of games, he is a good centre-back. Same with Joel Matip. But when they're in and out of the team because of injury, that's when the standards start to slip. And that's one of the reasons why Virgil van Dijk is so, so good, because he doesn't miss any games at all. So he can just stroll through season after season. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. 
On Saturday, of course, Liverpool were in action at Anfield. Burnley, the visitors. Gorsty, you were there. And, well, Liverpool didn't keep up their 100% winning record at Anfield. And I suppose we'll be quite disappointed that it ended in, in the way it did at Anfield on Saturday. Yeah, massively. I think, you know, that, that run dates back to January 2019 when Liverpool were held by Leicester. Um, and for it to come to an end in such a fashion it did, it's just, it's just massively frustrating and disappointing, I think, because Burnley should have been, you know, Liverpool should have been out of sight. Burnley barely got out of their own half for much of the game and then somehow rescued the points. And kind of just, I mean, it's testament to the character and the resilience of Burnley, but they're such a limited outfit. They don't really have too much quality. Jay Rodriguez is decent and Dwight McNeil looks like a good prospect. But beyond that, you're struggling to, to think of anyone who's a real star in that team. And somehow they come to Anfield and, and pill for the points. And now it's what, um, one draw and 24 wins from the last 25 games in Anfield, 17 this season and one draw. Um, it's a shame that Liverpool couldn't go the entire season in Anfield you know, with a 100% record because I think uh, performances have been good enough to, to, to deserve that. Um, can't really think of too many games when Liverpool were, were lucky to get out of a game at home where they didn't deserve the, the full three points and thinking possibly Leicester in October when they needed a pretty much 95th minute penalty from James Milner. But other than that, Liverpool have been utterly dominant at Anfield. So a real, real sour note Saturday afternoon. And it's kind of it's just like a sleepy game that no one could really be two up for. And, and there was a plenty of disinterest. And that kind of seeped onto the pitch. Uh, particularly second half, it was almost just like Liverpool thought, well, we're one nil up, we're probably going to win this game in first gear and, and you know, that they were proven wrong. So, yeah, I mean, we know that the title's won and, and whatever else, but it was a was a disappointing afternoon, I thought. Yeah, Connor, does it underline just how big, I suppose, the task and how difficult it is with winning the league with, what, seven games to go for Liverpool as they did, that reaching this 100-point target wasn't just going to be a case of easily easy does it and that they were they were going to get it done because I suppose since winning the title there was the game away at the Etihad there was the 2-0 home win over Villa where things only really got going in the final stages of the game two early goals got them on their way against Brighton although there were a few bits of sloppy play in that one and, and now a one-all draw with Burnley that you you can just feel that intensity perhaps isn't isn't quite where it was when the title was still there to play for yeah look, I think Liverpool play a brand of football that is so intense they kind of They've made the mark by playing on the final line of the game every 90 minutes. They play every single kick and live in that. And they've done that for nearly three seasons on the bounce. And I think after getting the final trophy over the line, you know, the one they really, really wanted, there was obviously going to be a relapse. You can't keep up that level of intensity. Last season, the City-Liverpool challenge and the one-point finish, they only finished in such such high points because they were just pushing each other to win all the way. Now Liverpool are so far clear it would be difficult to go into that Burnley, to take, to take for instance the Burnley game, go in that really intense, like we desperately need this three points. The records are amazing. The records are lovely. And they're gonna, they want the records, of course. But the most important thing is the trophy at the end of the day. It, it, the title win is, is getting that over the line. It's way more important than anything else. Um, they still obviously have the opportunity to finish with the record points, though. So and that, that's still there. But yeah, it's, it, it's difficult. Four games out to really get bang up for a Burnley game with the league having been one for so long as well. Um, it's a totally understandable thing. And you look at so many teams in title wins gone by and the few games after the, this glosses and draws littered in there, just because there is just that, I don't know, release almost that it's, it's done. Yeah. Theo, looking at the, 
the shot count for Liverpool, nine shots on target. Nick Pope was probably the, the standout player on the pitch with the saves he made, certainly to, to stop Mohamed Salah a couple of times. Seen a, a fair few fans talking after the game saying that, oh, well, it, it's another game that emphasises Liverpool's need for more creativity or another striker maybe to, to come into the club. Is that a fair accusation to label at them? Or was this just, I suppose, a one-off in which Burnley's goalkeeper played out of his skin? Uh, it's probably a mixture of the two. I think it's important to remember that the whole season, pretty much, Liverpool have been very close to the wire in games. And it's just because of the high standards that normally games where you would expect them to drop points because it's been meandering towards the end. They've somehow found a late winner, whether that's because of the Anfield crowd or away fans, whatever they've always found to win when they needed to late on. Uh, but that's not normal throughout a season for it to happen every single time. This is probably the first time in a game where Liverpool haven't been leading and you've thought, yeah, it's just not going to be their day. Like looking at the chances Mohamed Salah had, even that great volley in the first half, most of his shots were falling on his weaker right foot. And then you had a few from both him and Mane where it's straight at the keeper or Firmino scuffing one that goes off the post. Uh, it's very rare that Liverpool's front three, all of them are misfiring and they're not on the top of their games. So I don't think Liverpool are desperate in need of the, a new addition there to liven things up because you are going to have this one off day every so often. And if it's what, once, twice in a 38-game season, you're probably still going to win the league as Liverpool have done this year. And it's not as though they don't have talent in reserves. Granted, um, Jurgen Klopp's probably not going to turn to Jean Shaqiri before the end of the season if he is going to move on, but he might be a player they look to replace and there'll be that option there in reserve. We've still got talented youngsters it's still got a lot of quality in that squad. And you're not going to say for like Arsenal the week, um, in midweek, well, Salah's not going to score again. Mane's not going to score again. Firmino's not going to score again. You're an Arsenal fan. You're expecting at least one of them to score, aren't you? So the quality is there. It's not something to worry about. Yeah, if you're an Arsenal fan, eh? Um, <laughs> Gorsty, looking at the, the, the lineup. Curtis Jones was given his first Premier League start, but another player I want to ask you about as well, Theo mentioned there, Roberto Firmino, now just one game away from perhaps going through the whole Premier League home season without scoring at Anfield. Not something that you associate with a Liverpool number nine. And he did have a big chance against Burnley as well. You wonder how much it's weighing on his mind. Yeah, that's such a strange record, isn't it, to think that Liverpool are currently... 21 points cleared at the top of the Premier League. They've won the, the league in the quickest ever time of 31 games. They've only lost two games all season um, and their number nine hasn't scored at home. Um, it's such a strange strange um, juxtaposition almost. But yeah, I mean, I, I, he obviously brings a lot more than just goals to his game and he's not the chief goal threat in this team. Sadio Mane and uh, Mohamed Salah scored more than him last season. Um, Salah scored more than, than the season before. Um, but at some point, it's probably going to start weighing on his mind, you would think. I mean, he's more of a creator, isn't he, than an out-and-out goal scorer. And most of his goals have come from home. It's not as though he, he hadn't scored at all. I mean, he's been responsible for some important goals away from home. can't remember how many points it is exactly that his goals have contributed to away from home in terms of, like, decisive winning goals. But um, you can think of Palace, Tottenham. Um, there was another one, Wolves, uh, just, just off the top of my head. And obviously the goals he scored in, in Qatar that won the Pula Club World Cup in, in the semi-final and the final. So it's not as though he's, he's had a completely barren run. But at some point, that's going to start weighing on his mind. You would think to go an entire season without scoring at Anfield is, 
it's not great as a by any strikers. Um, you know, we, we judge strikers in goals, and for me, now obviously brings a lot more than that. But um, yeah, I mean, hopefully, you can kind of end the season on, on a on a high note at home against Chelsea next week because or this week even because um, it's it, it's such a strange stat and, and it's one that kind of um, if you don't watch Firmino regularly you, you're probably thinking that that's a ludicrous stat and why is he anywhere near the team but obviously it does bring a, a lot more than that so hopefully you can sign off on a high note this week Yeah, what do you make of it, Connor? Of course, coming up next a trip to Arsenal, Firmino has been doing it away from home I think it's eight Premier League goals that he's scored away from home but we're still, I suppose, waiting to see if Takumi Minamino is going to get a run in the side and whether that might be a game that might be suited to him, giving him the chance to be that creator through the middle as well as someone who might be able to pose a threat when he does get in on goal. Yeah, certainly. I'm sure we'll come on to team selections and decisions in a minute. Um, and I wouldn't be overly surprised if we did see Minamino, to be honest, because I think Klopp will want to give him Premier League game time before the head of next season because there's no real substitute for competitive Premier League games, uh, no matter how much you try and replicate that with inter-games and training or anything else. Um, particularly in regards to Firmino, I'm personally not worried. As, as you say, if you watch Liverpool every week, you can see what Firmino gives to the team. You can see when he comes on, the space he creates for people, what he does, and he just plays a one step ahead of everybody else. The, the record of not scoring at Anfield is, it is odd. Um, but... I guess if you probably look back through all the games, you know, hitting the post, it's just little little unlucky bits and pieces. Um, but yeah, wouldn't be worried about Firmino just yet. We're looking ahead to the Arsenal game then, Theo. It is the sixth game in, in three weeks since the, the 4-0 win over Crystal Palace. And I suppose Liverpool, though, travel to the Emirates Stadium and will be rubbing their hands at what they'll come up against, certainly defensively. Uh You'd hope so far when Liverpool's front three were on the top of the game, they're about for the best defences in Europe and they're going to play one of the most average defences in the Premier League. So they should cope fine with this. And I'd like you to take your Arsenal hat off, please, with, oh, should Roberto Firmino get dropped? You know very well how much he loves playing against Arsenal. Yeah. He scores against them pretty much every time he plays against them. Um, and then it was pretty shoddy from Arsenal yesterday, wasn't it, in the derby? David Luiz making yet another mistake for yet another goal. Uh, he was at fault for, what, a penalty against Mohamed Salah back in August and he couldn't take him out for Salah's second. So if he has another game like that, Liverpool could probably get four or five goals in this one if they're on top of the game. Sort of game that they do raise the levels at. Uh, Arsenal, they've not really got this uh, personality with them at the moment. Mikel Arteta's trying to implement a new style, but they can't really decide how they play. Uh, I think they've gone back to three centre-backs, but that seemed to be just because David Luiz is a bit of a car crash, so they needed that extra protection for him. And it's not done the job. Uh, they've got some very good players, like the youngster Saka looks very good. The front uh, two, three, if you want to throw Pepe in there, they've all got talent, Aubameyang, Lacazette. Great goal from Lacazette yesterday. But it's like Liverpool five years ago. You've got There's good players there, but it's not enough to challenge for the Champions League. It's not enough to challenge for Premier League titles. So I, I said this before the Burnley game, when Liverpool are on the day, they're going to win and I jinxed it there. So I'm going to do the exact same thing. If Liverpool are on top of their game, they're going to get a comfortable win against Arsenal. I, I suppose one interesting point from this course, he, he was rested on, on Saturday, but Trent Alexander-Arnold will surely start. And up against Aubameyang at the Emirates is probably as tough a test as he could wish to get in the Premier League, isn't it? Probably, yeah. I mean, I think there's a school of thought that Aubameyang's probably better through the centre, but um, he, can, he can't play out wide, can't he? I mean, 
he's one of the one of the Premier League's best goal scorers, isn't he? And I think I think that that is going to be an interesting one. I think um, Arteta started uh, Aubameyang, Lacazette, and, and Pepe in the on, on Sunday, and they haven't really had much of a chance to play as a trio. Uh, the three most expensive players in Arsenal's history, but I think beyond beyond that, it's it's it, 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 I have to say it, it is a really average Arsenal side. It's probably the, the worst one I've known in, in my lifetime, if I'm honest. When I think of the great Arsenal sides of, of the late '90s, mid '90s, and, and then obviously through to around about the mid 2000s, with so many great players at the moment, they're nowhere near that. And as Theo mentions, the defence is um, every time I seem to watch them, it's just a comedy of errors. And I think. Singling out David Luiz, I think that was a little bit harsh for the goal yesterday. I didn't really think that was his fault, but certainly when I seen him against Manchester City when he came on a couple of weeks ago and, and he, he was up the wall from start to finish before he got sent off. Liverpool can prey on that kind of vulnerability um, if they arrive at this game with um, the kind of mentality that it, that it matters and it means something, um, then I think Liverpool should come away from North London with, with, with maximum points. And just on what Gorsty says there, Connor, um, Arsenal aren't really a team for, for Liverpool to, to fear any, any longer. The, the sides over that, I suppose, that last five-year period Theo speaks about really have swapped places in the, the pecking order. Liverpool unbeaten in 10 games against Arsenal and often do find the back of the net just looking through it. I can see actually from the last 10 games, they've only not scored three, at least three goals in a game twice. Yes, um, they're always pretty goal-fest, aren't they? And especially recently, Liverpool have not had many in response. Um, I think, as Theo mentioned, Liverpool always seem to raise their level against Arsenal. I don't know if that's because if historically or because of the name, because of where you're going. It's, an, it's a, a big six club, we'll still call them. <laughs> but no, they go, they go there, they, you know, it's a decent win. It's a, if you get a good result against Arsenal, it's a, it's a good thing to take you through into the next couple of games. And it feels like a big win, even though maybe it isn't such a big win beating the mid-table side at the moment. Um, but yeah, I think the front line, you, there's, there's problems there for Liverpool. You know, you've got Aubameyang, you've got, like I said, you saw him score yesterday. They're, they're decent and really strong. But midfield-wise, defensive-wise, as the boys have mentioned, it, it's just a bit of a car crash at the moment. And I think the likes of Mane and Salah be chasing down Jamie Vardy in this game. Yeah, looking forward to uh, to doing the score prediction in a bit to come. But before we make any predictions on, on the scoreline at the Emirates Stadium on Wednesday night, I want to get the three of you's thoughts on this 100-point target. First of all, Gorsley, is it something Liverpool do have on their minds that they are going for? And two, they need to get seven points from the last nine available. Do you think that they will get across that line and, and get the 100 points? Not sure, actually. Um, given the way they played lately, you'd be struggling to suggest with great confidence that they could do it. Um, but it is a, it is a motivational factor. Ian Klopp has actually admitted that. He said, how could it not be? Um, but it's almost like a chicken and egg situation because you don't get the performances without the motivation, but you don't get the points tally if you're not putting the performances in. So it's how how does that, that kind of manifest itself in the players? I mean, for me, I think it'd be a shame if they didn't get it. Because I think this team, as I've said many times, deserves to be recognised as something more than just champions. They still have that 102-point tally that they can chase down for the events that set in 2014. I think that's probably the bare minimum that, that they deserve and it'd be a shame to see it fall away in the final few weeks of the season when the league was already wrapped up and they, they were playing with no fans and there was a, a, a drop of intensity that was only natural because of the circumstances. Because um, when it's mattered and when you know there's been a crowd and an atmosphere... 
when there's been something riding on it, Liverpool have, sh- have shown up and really turned in big performances. So we just need to, to kind of carry that on for the next three games. Um, I think they'll win on, on Wednesday night. I think they should beat Newcastle um, at St. James's, but the, the tough one is the Chelsea home because they're obviously still fighting for top four themselves and Liverpool, last couple of games at Anfield, have been a little bit dishevelled and, and disinterested at the time. So it's going to be tough, um, certainly, but I think um, I, I think they could move on to 96 points by the time that Wednesday night's through. Theo, what do you think on it? Um, I keep changing my mind on whether they can do it or not. I do think that it is a target for them. It's obviously when you've got this whole season, it is that ultimate prize that it to be the greatest ever, and that's what they would get for it once the Invincibles potential went. Um, but then before this weekend, I thought the chance, or before after the Burnley game, I thought the chance had gone. I thought that was now too many drop points. The style was not there. But then you see Chelsea go and get absolutely annihilated by Sheffield United. And it's like, Liverpool could potentially do the same to them at Anfield as long as they're on their game. It's just whether they can raise those levels again. Um, they've got one of the toughest runs left in terms of names when you think well, Arsenal is still a name, uh, Chelsea is still a name, and Newcastle, they're another team that they can turn it on sometimes but then go missing in other games. We could easily be saying these are three draws but, and we could easily be saying these are three comprehensive Liverpool victories. Um, whether they do it or not, I think it depends how they start games now. Like we saw against Brighton, if they get an early goal, that goes, oh, fine, we'll put in a bit more effort now. We can turn up. It gives them something to build on. Whereas if it's a slow game and it's late on, you're more likely to settle for a share of the spoils. It was a normal season and fans were still there. I reckon Liverpool would have definitely got the points to break City's record. Um, now it just depends on how they're going with lineups, where substitutions come in. Obviously, we still play five. So whether Jurgen Klopp is going all out for the last three games and still wants it, or if he's just happy with what Liverpool have already achieved. I think the only couple of things I would add, just a couple of factors at play. As we've said, Liverpool seem to raise their level against Arsenal. Any really scenario, I think they'll probably do the same on Wednesday night. Liverpool going to lift the Premier League title at Anfield against Chelsea. They're not going to want to do that off the back of a disappointing game, frustrating game. The history against Chelsea, they're going to want to put one in for Henderson for, without a doubt. Um, and then Newcastle in the final game of the season... If that points total is within reach, if, if they're on 99 heading to Newcastle, I just don't see them any way of not them coming away with a victory. Just a win gives you that whole best season ever. So I have every belief they do it, but I am ever the optimist. <laughs> yeah, of course you are. The, the optimist on the Blood Red panel as always. Well, let's get into our team selections then. And uh, Gorsty, I'll let you kick us off with your back five for this game. Um, yeah, I, I don't, don't see any reason to change, to be honest. Um, back five is Alisson, Trent, Gomez, Van Dijk and, and Robert who I thought was excellent back in the side um, on Saturday, particularly first half. Um, scored a great goal, didn't he? And it's good to have him, him and Mane back down the left-hand side after missing the, well, most of the Brighton game because they just had so much to the Slipfield team going forward. So, uh, yeah, that's my back five. He wasn't too happy with the ref after the game, was he, Andy Robertson? But less said on that, the better. Trent then coming back into the side for Gorsty Connor after Nico Williams has started the last two games. Of course, Brighton, he was playing at left-back, but you would fully expect Trent to come back in for this one, wouldn't you? Yeah, without a doubt. Obviously, Nico Williams is fitted in seamlessly, but Trent is back in for these last three games if we're going for this, without a doubt. Theo, who's going into the midfield three then? I thought you were going to ask me about the goalkeeper then and I was going to campaign, uh, campaign for Andy Lonergan again. Might have to wait for Newcastle for that one. 
Um, midfield three, Naby Keita's coming back in, isn't he? He was on the bench at the weekend. Uh, I think Jurgen Klopp's team selection against Burnley was very much with these next two in mind. The fact that Trent did drop out and Naby Keita dropped out. Uh, but then your options are somewhat limited elsewhere because I think James Milner's got a knock again. Um, I would like to see Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain against his former club because he, he needs to find some form. But then it's whether Jurgen Klopp really wants to put Keita and Oxlade-Chamberlain in the same midfield again. Uh, Genia Vinaldum hasn't been in his best form since the restart, so Fabinho's the deeper midfielder. So I'll probably say that's my trio there with Oxlade-Chamberlain just because I can't see Curtis Jones starting now. I think he's going to go more for the tried and trusted, the senior options. Gorsley, what do you make of that? And, and Naby Keita not starting at the weekend. We all on Friday seem to be dead set that Naby Keita was probably in possession of the jersey in the midfield. Yeah, I think that was just done now to, to obviously give Curtis Jones a, a chance in his first Premier League start at Anfield because I don't think there's room in and again Klopp midfield for two of those types of players, you know, two attacking midfielders who always want to get on the front foot and drive forward. So it's either either or. And obviously Kate's the more experienced player and, and at the moment he's the better player. But I think Klopp just wanted to, to give Jones his, his first taste of it after coming off the bench. Um, I would bring Cater back in for this one. Um, I think he was a little bit hard done by, really, given the form he's in, but obviously Klopp had, had other ideas. And then um, Juan Alderman and Fabinho for me, yeah? Connor? Yeah, as, as the boys have said, I think Cater's a bit unlucky, but with the games coming thick and fast, I think it was only literally with this in mind anyway, to be honest. Um, but, yeah, Wijnaldum, Fabinho, I think Fabinho's been excellent since the restart, to be honest. Um, you need someone else solid in there, and I think Wijnaldum is your, your best option, because as we, we discussed, Arsenal's attacking line, and we'll need a couple of defensive-minded midfielders to complement Cater. And a forward line of Shakiri, Glatzel and Origi. Coursely, is that what we're thinking? <laughs> Shakiri's an interesting one. He, he was, hasn't played since January, when he came off the bench for two minutes, so... I don't think I think we might have seen seen the last of him. If I'm honest, um, front three is, is the front three. We've had obviously had the Firmino discussion, but um, he seems to enjoy it against Arsenal and away from Anfield, so it could be the perfect mix for him. Yeah, through gritted teeth could be the uh, the perfect time for him. Theo, are you going with the the tried and trusted up front as well? Yeah, it's got to be. They've all got form against Arsenal. I think they've all got form at the Emirates as well. Uh, unleash them, see what they can do. Firmino loves a hat-trick against Arsenal, so hopefully he can get another one there. He can uh, keep up his record of getting double figures in each season for Liverpool. Yeah, certainly one to keep an eye out for. And Connor, you're going with the same. So let's get into our our match predictions, then our score predictions. Connor, start with with you on this one. Um, 3-1 Liverpool. Gorsley? I think it'll be uh, high score and 1-3-2 to Liverpool. And Theo? Uh, Let's go 3-0. So just so we can get Salah close to the golden boot, Alisson close to the golden glove, Firmino back on the score sheet, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I'm going to uh, sit on the fence and say Desmond 2-2. I think I'm being optimistic <laughs> with that one, but we'll have to, to wait and see how it does play out. Of course, you can keep across all of the, the build-up to the game, including Jurgen Klopp's press conference on Tuesday over on the Liverpool Echo website. Ahead of the game, we'll have a Behind Enemy Lines podcast on our podcast platforms. If you can like, rate, review, subscribe, share, wherever it is, whether that be on YouTube or wherever it is you get your audio on demand. But from myself, Guy Clark, Connor Dunn, Theo Squires and Paul Gorst, thanks for your time and your company here on Blood Red. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.